Welcome to uh, this week's episode of 55-1 Podcast, or the 55-1 Podcast. I am Wes Burdine, and uh, with me, it's Jeff Reuter. Hey. Are we that pretentious? Do we have a the in front of 55-1 Podcast? Uh, someone uh, very recently called me a pretentious asshole. Oh. Uh, so, or no, they said I seem like one. Which, <laughs> That's very which non-committal me, of them. That just tells me they don't know me well just enough to know. Just take a stance. That's my thing. That I, I call you an am. asshole, mean it. Uh, yeah, yeah, we're, we are the 55-1 podcast. Until another one shows up, and then we'll have to fight over who gets the article. But um, uh, welcome to the show. Uh, we, we're excited because this week's episode, I think for a while we're going to be saying this, is just crazy busy. We are going to talk about... Um, this weekend, we have a uh, U.S. Open Cup match for Minneapolis City. We've got uh, a, a pivotal match for Minnesota United FC. And then noon 45, the next day on Sunday, is U.S. Women's National Team. And then we've got crazy MLS Day. It's um, oh, it's just not it's not ending. So um, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I'm excited. I, this is, I mean, it's better than the alternative. You don't want to ever be sitting here and trying to fill time talking about, like, I don't know, we could have spent 45 minutes on Bob Dylan winning the Nobel. I think think we'll find out in the Twitter questions Ooh. if we will. Uh, but let's uh, let's then not waste any time. We'll do the, the musical thing and then come back and we'll just jump right in with the good, the bad, and the weird. We're a consumptive podcast. <laughs> okay, we are ready to go. I'm Wes Berdine. You're Jeff Reuter. Uh, this is a place where we talk about soccer. Um, let's start with the good, the bad, and the weird. This is, uh, for those just uh, tuning in, uh, this is where we kind of do our tour of anything in soccer that we want to talk about. And the first good has to be uh, last weekend's MLS action, which was just mind blowing. There was so much going on. MLS headquarters had like 70 people in the broadcasting room and, um, and it, it was wild. It was great. And what was really bizarre is that for all of the talk all season and last season, for that matter, that the West was the stronger conference and that the East was kind of, you know, the younger sibling, whatever, and a lot more boring. There were a ton of goals out East. And then the West, we had scoreless draws. We had like one nil, we had a just a bunch of not pretty games from the concert that's supposed or from the the conference, which is supposedly the uh, stronger of the two. I think. Well, if we're talking the older, younger, I think it's just that the West is just older. It's enlarged prostate, so it was just goals were dri- when it goes, dripping out. When it goes, it goes, but it's, it takes uh, a lot to get it going. I think yeah. you're right. Uh, and so we won't really recap all the action, but um, it was. Absolutely wild, and what what we will say is at least that coming into this final weekend, the only thing up for grabs really is Supporter Shield and the West. East is all all but certainly um, tied up. It would take, I think, a, a huge goal differential swing uh, for for things to change. Right, but you've got four teams going for three spots in the West uh, right now. Real Salt Lake is in the driver's seat for the fourth slot with 46 points. It's actually interesting. Today, Major League Soccer put out some graphics on their website of the positioning at the end of the month for every team in both conferences. Real Salt Lake is one of two teams in the West that was never below the red line to miss the playoffs, and that surprises me. Hmm. Like They just ne- they never seem like world beaters, but they've been consistent all season, so I think they're safe. 
Uh, Seattle's at 45. SKC is at 44. Up on Portland on goal difference. Uh, that was a. Did you watch the Portland Colorado game? Um, that was one of the. I, I, I think everything was just a haze for me. But the, I mean, Portland would be above the red line mm-hmm. if Fernando Adi wouldn't have missed the second penalty. He scored a penalty, and then he takes a second one. Uh, it gets saved by uh, Tim Howard. Right, they were playing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and uh, and then he goes to the rebound. The net's wide open, and he somehow shanks it high and wide it unbelievable was... and they've got quite a task ahead of them for this coming weekend because liam ridgewell their captain and the former um uh name any mid-tier team in the english championship and he played for them and diego chara they're kind of powerhouse in the midfield are both suspended on yellow card accumulation and nat borchers is out for the year with the achilles injury he had earlier so their defense is pretty much in shambles as you go into that final game and they have ground to make up so it'll be interesting to watch and they've never won in a a road game this year they have not um yeah i mean the biggest match this weekend is la galaxy versus fc dallas fc dallas won uh and so uh they they can really just pull out the supporter shield this weekend they are without maro dia uh diaz mm-hmm which is a huge blow. Lots of injuries this weekend. Crazy injuries. It was just, it was a bloodbath. Um, Absolutely disgusting. I'm not a horror film fan, and it was just like, no. You must hate this month then. Yeah, I'm going to, I just turned it off. I can't do this to myself. Mm. Um, And so, yeah, that, that is, that game is on Sunday as with all the other games. Um, But that's, that to me is the best, most interesting game to watch. There's lots of really, um, pivotal games but the matchups for portland portland vancouver isn't that uh, i'm not chomp champing at the bit for that not one, one bit yeah but we've got i think it's uh real salt lake versus seattle is another one so that will be a pretty interesting one too uh good segueing into bad good yeah. u.s women's national team is coming back to minnesota after what nine years away that's good. a long time yeah yeah what's bad is that it's a post brunch in a venue that's designed to suck all energy from your body that's a <laughs> It's a hell of a way to put it, Wes. Yeah, yeah. Um, it it twelve forty five on a Sunday in in basically what amounts to watching a game in an aquarium. I, I have a feeling that there's going to be lots of uh, sitting back, drinking coffee, watching this match against Switzerland. There, uh, let's see. We're recording on a Monday, I, th- I believe Tuesday. They're um, playing Switzerland as well in in Salt Lake City. I don't get it. Um, I, I'm going to be straight up honest that uh, one of the reasons I don't regularly care about the U.S. Women's National Team is precisely for this reason: the amount of friendlies that that just don't matter. And I, I don't care about the. I did. I barely cared about the Cuba game, and I don't know who the second match was against uh, for it's the for sign. the men. Um, but I. Oh, it was uh, New Zealand. Zealand. Well, I, here's, here's a question for you: You were at the Chelsea Milan friendly at yes. the bank, right? Yeah. What was the atmosphere like for that? Like, does oh, it, it was, feel fine for soccer? No, no, it's terrible. I mean, if you had an MLS team in there, I would, I would probably not have a season ticket. Wow. I mean, it, 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 it's like watching a game from inside an aquarium. You're underwater. Sound just travels weirdly. There's no energy, um, especially for yeah, it's. Especially for a game as as um, as that depends on that kind of building energy as soccer, right? With with uh, American football, you you've got this thing where 
it's fourth down, people are charged up, everyone knows to get in, but soccer requires people to be attentive and feeding off each other. It's going to be bad. And then you take the fact that uh, probably, listener, your favorite player from the U.S. women's national team won't be there. No one's surprised Hope Solo was left off this roster, but you've also got Mallory Pugh, uh, Wonder Kid, who's going to be prepping for the U-20 Women's World Cup. Alex Morgan, uh, Klingenberg Johnston in the defense. Megan Rapino, everyone's favorite think piece fodder. And Allie Krieger are all going to yeah. be gone. Yeah, Alex Morgan and Megan Rapino are, are pretty big. Actually, and Pew. Those three are pretty big bummers because Pew is the future. Alex Morgan is uh, the star. And Megan Rapino is, uh, you know, the professor. I'm really bummed. I, I was really looking forward to interviewing uh, Rapino, but um, won't be. Let's say the whole thing is not bad. I'm very excited for a U.S. women's national team game to be here again. Mm-hmm. The first uh, p- professional soccer game I went to was up in Blaine uh, to see U.S. versus Australia, and um, it was fantastic. And so I... I'm very excited for this game, but I just I wish it were under better circumstances. I, no doubt. Well, you know, I mean, they got to test the waters. I'm sure that's a part of it. See if this stadium is one that they'll want for qualifiers and whatever else. Uh, I think there are a couple American Outlaw um, events going on the, the night before at the Crooked Pint, and I think mm. there's a like a pregame at 9:30, coffee benders only. I'm sure. Yeah. And then a march to the match at 11:30. Great. So. Check that out. Um, I am excited about there are some there are some really exciting people brought into that that match. Um, for those who watched the NWSL final, um, Lynn Williams uh, was the league MVP and she plays for Western New York Flash, who won. She'll be brought in. She's uncapped. Um, Kelia Ohai, I think is how you say her first name. Anyway, I, I just I always see her last name and go Ohai. Um, but she's going to be in there. So there are, there are a lot of things. I don't mean to dump on this game because I am very excited. I just, I'm, I'm a little ambivalent about it. Sure. Um, another game going on. A good. This is a good. This is a good. We've got Minneapolis City SC, uh, who was playing against Oakland, but not that Oakland. It actually, it took me until about last week to realize this wasn't like a California team. Yeah. Oakland County FC, um, uh, from Michigan, outside of Detroit, somewhere in yeah. Michigan, uh, Everywhere is outside of Detroit. Even Detroit downtown. <laughs> Detroit is. now is outside of Detroit. Um, yeah. So this match is happening on Saturday at 2.30 p.m. in NSC proper. I didn't realize this, but um, inside the stadium, uh, not out on the on the U2 um, field outside. Um, it's 7 bucks, I believe. So what this is, is um, for those listeners, you know the U.S. Open Cup, and you know that it is our FA Cup, our uh, League Cup, whatever... Um, and it is the way that amateur teams can fight and push up uh, and, and go to some success. And um, Minneapolis City, they had their first year last year, and they are in, uh, they're in the qualifiers to get to the, to the proper U.S. Uh, Open Cup. And so they're playing Oakland County. It'll be a lot of fun on a Saturday afternoon. And then, you know, if you want to watch the um, Minnesota United match, you can uh, watch it with plenty of time to go relax on your couch or go down to the nomad or something and watch. Um, it's going to be great. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's really very little excuse not to do it except for stuff to do on a Saturday, but it should be a fun game. I think that looking at that roster, there are some faces that were on the team from this summer, but there are a lot of players who were brought in from all across that league, as mm-hmm. well as some faces from the reserves, just kind of this, that, and the other thing. So um, yeah, go support it. It should be fun. 
And we'll finish on the weird part. And this is the um, the news broke. I forget when the first Grant Wall tweet was, but um, it was saying that FC Kansas City NWSL team in Kansas City is uh, looking to sell, and that there's an owner in Minnesota looking to buy them. And so that got every you know junior detective uh, gumshoe out there um, trying to figure out who it might be. Uh, it seemed very unlikely that it would be Bill McGuire or anyone with Minnesota United, um, simply because now's not the time. They don't have a stadium. You're not going to move another team into TCF Bank Stadium or right. something. And um, and honestly, Bill McGuire, every time uh, as he's talked about it, has been. Um, you know, rightfully, uh, kind of saying, well, I just need to focus on, uh, the fact that I need to get my club into MLS and there's a lot going on for them. They, they have to get a USL team, etc. So, um, and then, uh, today the name, uh, Elam, Elam bear, um, comes up and he is the twin cities guy, founder, CEO of a, an investor group called North central equity. And, um, I talked to him this afternoon, uh, and, and, it was a very brief conversation, mostly because he's in discussions to buy the team. He he said specifically that there's no, they do not, they have. He, he said, I have no intention to move the club. Great. Um, and so that was unequivocal. He didn't, he didn't give a caveat to that at all. But that's a, I think that's for the best probably. If FC Kansas City, if I remember, it's the only two-time champion in NWSL history. I think I saw that somewhere. And... That's Kansas City is a place that should have, uh, you know, a soccer team in every major league that there is. You know, it's a really good city for it. Um, I'd be curious to see what the attendance figures were, but yeah, I mean, that's a club that's had success to see it stay there. And then ultimately, for people who want Minnesota United to have a NWSL team, great. I agree. I think that they should, but I don't think you should necessarily take one from a similar market in order to get your yeah. own. So it makes total sense for the, the, the startup fee for it is not, you don't need to buy an existing club. Um, unless NWSL really needs to find an owner and then you, you do that. Uh, yeah. I mean, we'll talk about it many times in the future, but an NWSL team makes so much sense. It doesn't, it's not a completely overlapping, uh, audience. Um, you don't have that much extra cost because the salary cap is so low. You already have people selling tickets. You already have, you know, you have all the infrastructure to be a soccer team. Uh, to me, it's it's a no brainer. Um, but I also don't have millions and millions of dollars, and there's a reason uh, I don't. Um, so, so there you go. Let's uh, let's go ahead and take a break here. When we come back, we will be looking at the darkness, the shroud lifting just slightly in a magical Saturday night in Essen. Welcome back to the 55-1 Podcast. I'm Jeff Reuter over here. Wes Burdine is over there, hypothetically, on your other speaker on your radio. And we are looking at the redemption, the final flyover cup being clinched by Minnesota United in a 3-1 boot stomping, I want to say. I think that it was a really, really decisive victory over I, Edmonton. Yeah, I mean, it was uh, one of three decisive victories of the season. The previous one was actually against Edmonton two nothing. Um, and the five, one Carolina thwomping. Um, it was, that's a, about it. The, yeah, this, this match was, was uh, spectacular. Um, 
I think uh, for 75 minutes, Minnesota was unparalleled on the, on the pitch. Um, but let, let's talk about the fact that Matt Van Okel, Matty Extreme, former, former Minnesota United goalkeeper, was not uh, in between the pipes, and that was depressing to me because I usually spend one, the first half heckling uh, the goalkeeper. And so we had to go with um, Tyson Farago, Farago, I, I, I don't know, Tyler, Tyson? I think it's Tyler. That's a good sign. You did your research, didn't no, you? No, no. I wrote Tyler here in my notes, but I think it's actually Tyson. I think okay. I was going but from my part. Regardless, he has extremely hairy legs, which we discovered during the heckling. Because um, we had to do a lot of last-minute Wikipedia searching. Um, so uh, basically it was a lot of uh, your legs uh, look like George Stephanopoulos jokes. <laughs> um, but this match... Uh, Started out, Minnesota started out so fantastically, and then in the 16th minute... We have a free kick opportunity, Adam Eckersley takes the kick, and... Eckersley, who called uh, David Smith, who wears the uh, the Nessie costume, yeah. fat. No way. Because David was heckling him and, and saying, what, you're wearing... Uh, he's Scottish, I won't do his accent. You're wearing uh, your children's shorts. It looks like you're wearing tiny, tight children's shorts. And then he kind of looked at me, <laughs> made this fat fa- fat body look and, and called him fat. Fantastic. Anyway, so he, there you he go, He takes the, the kick, um, sends it to a teammate who kicks it right at the gut of Sammy Najak, who falls over it to scoop it up, but it somehow bounces out in shades of the... Uh, Oh, let's see. There's the indie miss earlier this season. A few misses last season. Um, it was bad. It was bad. It looked like something that was easily catchable. Sammy let it slide, and then uh, Adam Albert Watson uh, came in and was able to kick it back. Yeah. And uh, that opened the scoring. And I remember they actually took a parade past the dark clouds. Uh, Edmonton did in celebration. And Ben Fisk, Young Player of the Year nominee, who's played like eight games this year, decided to go by with a big shit-eating grin doing kind of a pump-up-the-crowd gesture, and it was on from there. Well, he ate shit, at least. So just seven minutes later, Christian Ramirez um, scores this uh, fantastic goal. I was, because I was right behind the goal, I've been dreaming about this uh, erotically for the the last few days. Um, basically JC Banks is cut in and he, um, does this chip around the defender and, um, and then Christian, the ball pops to him. It goes off the half volley. He just puts it in. Even more impressively, it wasn't just a typical chip because Ibsen put in a through ball and Mm -hmm. Banks just did a very quick one touch redirection right into Ramirez's path. It was, that might be their goal of the year. It's yeah. certainly up there with Ramirez's first goal of the year against Carolina from yeah. Vardy range. Yeah, yeah. It was it was fantastic team play. I think uh, it between that and then the next goal, which was in the 53rd, um, where Kevin Venegas crossed in a long ball, which uh, Ibsen, again, did a kind of a one-touch cross across the face of net, which Ramirez, I don't know what he even hit it with on his body. So what's amazing about this goal, though, is that it start, the whole play starts with Ibsen, Basically, in the left back area, he passes it off. It goes to Spees. It goes to Viva, and then Viva sends it in. By the time Viva sends it in, it's Ibsen again, and he does the volley. Just for all those Ibsen haters out there, and we have the another dude one just coming ran up out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I get it. Sometimes he's infuriating, but that's that's precisely this was one of uh, one of Ibsen's best games uh, this season by and, far, and it was just uh, brilliant. And then the, the final goal. The Let's final go goal came on a, a quick throw-in, actually. Uh, balls cleared out of bounds by the left back for Edmonton. 
and Spee's quick runs to the ball. Uh, the defense is kind of sleeping, just waiting to waste the clock, or expecting Minnesota to waste the clock a bit because they're only up by one. And Christian uh, Ramirez looks over, sees Spees with the ball, sprints over, grabs it, passes it back to Spees, who's just able to set up a nice cross to the near post. And then uh, Stefano Pino is able to score for his first goal since early July. Yeah, it, it was a beautiful goal. I mean, that 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 header at the near post, because it was far off the near post. It wasn't near. Um, I, I do want to go back to that second, that first uh, goal, because after the match, um, I don't know if people do this, but um, Periscope, if you don't have Periscope, uh, get it. Um, Periscope, before the match, uh, you and I, almost always you and I, but um, do the pregame uh, show where we talk about the the match. But then after the match, we have the interviews with uh, Carl Craig and, and some of the players. So anyway, this little bit is from uh, Christian Ramirez, and I just want to play it so that we can kind of talk about it. It's great. Um, feel? It felt good just because Ian had talked about that specific play um, leading up this week uh, around the corner from JC, uh, almost playing that 210 system uh, with like no outside left. Uh, so once Ibsen played him the ball, I knew that uh, the space was on that we talked about because the defender got sucked in with JC um, and he somehow managed to clip it over him. So uh, it felt, felt nice. So I think, I mean, it works. That's what Ian Fuller was really brought in for, you know, was to keep some of the focus on the attack. He was a striker at Clemson, drafted somewhere around John Bush territory in that super draft, if I remember right. And then with Orlando, I mean, he'd worked with Kevin Molino, he worked with Kaká, and was able to build a formidable attack out of pretty much two or three pieces. And so if Banks... You know Ian Fuller's uh, resume off the top of your head, huh? Yeah, I've uh, I'm prepping a piece with Ian uh, about the transition okay. to MLS. Okay, all right, great, great. No, I'm, I swear I'm, I'm, there's a reason I know that. I was like, wow, I can't even remember. Yeah, anyway, my lunch, but uh, <laughs> or the name of the first goal scorer for Edmonton. Yeah, exactly. But, um, it's you know, it. I think it's what we talked about last week with JC Banks. It's that in games that are of a higher caliber against a better opponent, he really always plays up to it. And he's yeah. one of the more pivotal pieces in those games. And it's pretty clear to see that the guy's talented. And I think that play really showed it. Yeah, and, and what, what they're talking about with that double 10, uh, you know, just in case um, people are not kind of mega uh, tactics, tactics wizards or, or whatever. But um, the double 10 is, you know, the 10 is what Spees is in. It's that uh, it's the hole behind the striker. And so what, what they're talking about is J.C. Banks coming in. He's playing the left wing, but if you go back and rewatch it, or you just remember he was cutting in so much and playing behind uh, Ramirez as well. So they had kind of these two attacking uh, playmakers uh, right behind Christian and that left a lot of space on the left. Mm -hmm. And this was Justin Davis's best match of the season. By or, far. or at least I, I'm sure there were some early last couple months. Maybe he's had, he's had a pretty uh, quiet year by his standards. And um, and he was really good defensively. I thought the fact that J.C. Banks left that open didn't mean that uh, Davis was getting attacked uh, heavily on on the left, and um, and he was able to go forward. I thought he he was just really tidy. I think so, there were two players that were really affected by that. Banks obviously because he was shifted over there, but Davis, like you highlighted, he's a player who thrives when he just has the freedom to go back and forth. He's a player, I've said it a couple times too, but if he doesn't get five or six good attacking moments in a game, he can fall out of a game, you know, because he, he's an attacker mentally through and through. That's what he played in college. And so 
for him, made a lot of sense. He can cover that ground, he can deliver those crosses, and defensively he can make that up. Um, the second player, and this actually goes right into a question from Jake Hemish, which is asking why is Ibsen so inconsistent? He can be the best player on the field one minute, and then suddenly he's just nowhere to be seen. I think that no player benefited from this formation more than Ibsen. Because on paper, it looked as if he was the second number 10, and Banks was the left wing. But when you move Banks centrally, it allows Ibsen to just be a free roamer. And that's exactly what he needs to do to thrive. He's someone who can take over a game as long as he can, you know, use his vision to the fullest and just find those pockets of space to create those chances. And he was able to, like you said, he started at left back on one play and ended up on left wing with an assist. Yeah. Or on another one, he was purely in the center of the field and could lob in a ball that Banks redirected to Ramirez. Yeah. That was, I would be stunned to see this lineup changed at all over the last two regular season matches and then the playoffs if they get yeah. there. Yeah, and, and so, right, I, I think that, uh, again, Jake, uh, I, I feel your pain of, of Ibsen's inconsistency, but I'll, I'll also say very few players in NASL are consistent. And I would, I, I, there was this conversation going on at some point recently about what's the difference between an NASL player and an MLS player. An MLS player is not necessarily mega brilliant flair, right? There are really great players in, in MLS, but there are also really great flair players in NASL, like Ibsen, few others, uh, several others. The reason that they are NASL and not MLS is the consistency. And that's why I think someone like Danny Cruz is an M MLS player, not because he's the flashiest, right? Not because he's going to go and get you these goals, but because Danny has had two poor games all season. And I would say same thing with Jeb. I think he's had two poor games all season. Um, there, there's a few other players on the team who I don't think, who I think have been consistently good. Um, but that's the difference between MLS and NASL. It, it's just, it's not necessarily, there's there's a lot of geniuses out there. That's why Poku's in, in NASL again. Right. And I think that's why you look at a guy like Nas Al-Badawi out in Carolina and say he might be ready for MLS next year. It's that for the first time this year, he's been much more consistent, certainly than he had been in his first couple, and he's leading the league in assists by far. Yeah. And he's been a hell of a playmaker, despite a Carolina attack that's been rotating their entire striker force all season long, yeah. relying on Matt Fondy for long stretches of time. Yeah. So I think you're right. I think it's the consistency. Um, we talk about it a little bit with Banks there, too, but with Ibsen, you know, to go back to the question, yeah, you nailed it. Um, nailed it. Yes, go me. Boom. So Sunday then, you know, we're recovering from the three points on on Saturday. And uh, on Sunday then is the priority draft. Uh, so it's the first big steps in MLS. Uh, and so Manny Lagos is out in New York uh, opposite Darren Ailes, who, by golly, I am very jealous that Atlanta United have Darren Ailes, by the way. Um, the uh, So... They're doing the coin flip, and this is the priority draft. This is going to have, there's basically six things on that you're drafting. Um, three of them, I think, are useful. The other three are either not useful or, yeah, they're not useful. And so, if going with the ales, I mean, if Lagos would be something of a respectable standard IPA, you know, really build um, with what you have, kind of stick to something that's a real crowd pleaser, Darren Ales would be. We're doing beer analogies? Yeah. 
His last oh. name is Ailes, of course. Yeah, what, yeah, yeah. Wait, so, so what would Darren Ailes So be? Lagos is... Lagos is, is, is an IPA. He is? Through and through. I don't think it's necessarily the sexiest choice, but it's one that's formidable. It's one that's been proven at least to Minnesota. Lagos is a lager. Now that's a that's an easy yeah. Um, I just I mean sound there, alike. Why is that? Well, I'm just saying like IPAs have, are hoppy, and um, IPAs would give you a good quote. Ooh, okay. I'm, I'm just no, and, and this so is then no, Carl Craig's a pub ale. Uh, Carl Craig is Carl Craig is a shot shot of vodka. <laughs> sure. So sure. I'm but then Darren Ailes. Yeah, uh, Darren Ailes. I don't know. You're you're springing on this on me. Uh Darren Ailes is, I mean, he's fancy. Darren Ailes is wine. Yeah. I, I just don't think we have, I, I think Minnesota is doing all right with this MLS transfer, but Atlanta has been doing so much great things and hiring a former Tottenham Hotspur executive to be your, what I forget what his official role is. Uh, it's uh, Chancellor. Yeah, Chancellor. Uh, that would be. be good. Head boy. The head boy. Um, uh, we'll talk about Tata sure. Martino during the off season. Yeah. But- I'm not as sold on that one. Yeah, well, it's that or Dom Kinnear. I'll take Tata every day of the week. Uh, priority draft. Uh, Minnesota did not win the coin toss, but it sounds like from when I spoke to Manny afterwards, it sounds like he wanted the super draft anyway. So Atlanta go first, and they get the expansion draft, which just that's a quick- bit of an advantage. I mean, you get the first, third, fifth, seventh, and ninth picks in the five round draft instead of two, four, six, eight, ten. So in that sense, it's a it's a big advantage. There's a lot more pressure with the first overall pick in the last draft. Orlando took Donovan Ricketts, the then th- I think he was 57 years old, and he started about three games and retired soon after. So there's a lot that can go wrong if you mess up that first pick. Was um, it that quick? Yeah, I didn't realize that. Yeah, I knew that. I, I, yeah, he okay. was the first one. Period. Yeah, and then ended up getting traded to L.A. for a song um, by the end of that year. So. The expansion draft, we'll have a lot more to say about that over the next month or two. Um, I think but, that's what, December 10th? But then the Super Draft. Yeah, and, and my, my point about, well, well, explain the Super Draft. Just. Super Draft is like any conventional rookie draft um, in the American sports. So pre- yeah. predominantly college players who are in their second, third, or fourth seasons or on Generation Adidas contracts for undergrads. Yeah. And then they will be able to join the ranks yeah. and then go through a typical 1 through 22. My my biggest point is that I think the difference between number 1 and number 2 in the super draft is far bigger than the uh expansion draft. This year? Uh overall. If yeah. you look at if you look at how they how it's shaken out, number 1 is almost always a guaranteed hit. You've got Jack Harrison, uh, Kyle Laren, who the uh, Andre Blake. Blake. Those are the three most recent, I think. Um there's mm-hmm. a, uh, um who's the Farrell, uh, and Andrew, Andrew Farrell, Farrell in, yeah. in uh, Revolution. Um, these guys are, they're all really good. And so I would want that number one pick more than I would want the number one expansion draft. Yeah, I could see that. And you can't, coming to another point, you can't trade expansion draft picks. You can make the pick and trade the player, but you can't trade the pick themselves. Yeah. So there's a little more perceived worth for the super draft pick. Right. Yes. You can, the other point is super draft. And this is, uh, you know, Jim Oliver, uh, president of the Dark Clouds at New School, um, was talking about don't take the number one pick, sell it, take someone else's top center back, um, that get a defense because uh, th- this is something we'll uh, be worried about for a long time. 
getting the defense right for expansion teams is is the highest priority you know it's massive uh and so um that that is a a good option of thinking about who can you get that could anchor that center back line cuz center backs are by far the hardest to come by in fairness if there's a player that you think could be Kyle Laren from year 1 you know Blake took 2 or 3 years to develop so that's a little bit of a uh, aberration there but Laren you've seen it with Jack Harrison Andrew Farrell like you said they were day one starters and they proved it immediately, too. So if you're looking at the pool, but, and it's going to come yeah. down to pretty much three players, you've got the Minnesota kid, Jackson Ewell, uh, who's a box-to-box midfielder, has played a little bit on the wing this year, but I don't think that would be his MLS position. You've got um, Jeremy Ebabise, who's a striker, who's a USU 20, and actually uh, bypassed his last year at Duke University to play in the USL with Charleston Battery. And then you have um, Abu Dunladi, who is the striker up top for Jackson Ewell's UCLA. If you're not sold on any of those three, I say that you test the market and see what that pick's worth. Worst case, you just take the best player available. So uh, people are in Minnesota talking a lot about Jackson Ewell. I'll, we'll get to Tyler at Def, the Def Loon on Twitter asks, uh, who do you take number one overall in Super Draft? The team really wants Jackson Ewell. Um, my problem is I've heard from a couple people who have scouted him and said they're not sure if he's ready to start MLS. He's probably ready to go pro, and he's a really talented kid, but they're not sure if he quite has the physicality ready to start. So if you're if you're drafting a number one guy there who, yeah, he's from here, he's going to be really good, or do you get someone who start? I, that's I mean, the, the debate we and can have. And it's not – I mean, I've also heard people try to make the cross-sports analogy to the Twins drafting Joe Maurer at the beginning of the century – and sure, I see it, the Minnesota kid, but you have the minor leagues in baseball. You know, you can rely on that and send them up through there. With an expansion team in MLS, you want someone who can start from day one, and if not be a starter, he's a 35-minute substitute every single game, or gets 35 minutes off of the bench, I should say. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, I saw Ewell this summer when he was training with Minnesota United in his uh, UCLA offseason. And yeah, there were times where you would see like Vicencini and Pitch Colon, who are both crafty veterans, but not necessarily the, the quickest players anymore, but they were able to wrestle the ball away from him just purely off of positioning. Yeah. And uh, physicality, obviously, as well. Um, and so just to continue on the priority draft, uh, the next thing was the allocation order. Uh, that is for U.S. men's national team players. Um, and so... I'm going to be honest. I think that that is far more valuable to Atlanta, who I think are more likely to go after one of these guys. Uh, Here's a question for you, actually. Uh, question within the questions. Take that. Meta. Mm-hmm. Uh, Minnesota will get second. Yeah. And there are rumors already that Atlanta is going to try to use that spot on Aaron Johansson. So let's say they do that. Minnesota bumps up to first. There are two former Sounders. Uh, the other, so there's USMNT players, and then there are players who were transferred outside right. the league for a fee. So Quadro Poku is actually on that list if he wants to come back to MLS. Yeah. But most notably, there are two former Sounders who are playing in China right now. You've got Freddie Montero, and you've got Obafemi Martins. And every transfer window, you see pipe dreams that Montero's going to come back. in China? I think he's in China now. He might be in Portugal still. Uh, that might be worth looking up. But he's certainly in another league at this point. So... There are always rumors every single transfer window that Montero is going to be linked to the Sounders again. And the Sounders would love to have him. 
So let's say Montero. He is in China, by the way. Sorry, yeah. just uh, I I That's thought good. he was still in Portugal. Sorry. And so let's say he wants to come back to Seattle. Seattle desperately wants to move up to that top spot because he'd have to go through the allocation rank. Do you trade that rank for Ozzy Alonso, who then would free up some cap space and give us a central defensive midfielder who's 29, 30 years old and some allocation money? I'd make that trade in a heartbeat. Did, is this you come up with this yourself? Yeah. Oh, you gotta you gotta make sure that you get paid paid proper when Manny Lago steals that. That's a great idea. I mean, I think you could just get Freddie Montero as well. He's 29. I'd take him in a heartbeat. No um, doubt. He, he might be, be being paid crazy money by, uh, by in China, but he may just want to come back uh, to the U.S. for a bit. Um, yeah, that, that'd be awesome. Uh, Freddie Montero and Christian Ramirez uh, gives me happy thoughts. Um, so... So the, that's what the allocation yeah. rank is for. The, uh, the other three, a little bit lesser. You want to talk about those quick? Yeah, the USL and ASL priority thing, I honestly don't even know how it works, but they get the number one choice of if a, a USL or an ASL player. To be honest, Minnesota are more likely to use this than Atlanta, so I think it means more to them. Uh, and yeah, so I, I think actually all of these picks are perfect for each team. I think... Uh, and then uh, the last two are kind of a wash. Yeah, disco- the Discovery, we're number 21 rather than 22. And the waiver draft, no one good comes to the waivers draft, and it right. won't come to us. We'll just get a, a, a later chance to, we'll be last to say pass. Um, but the priority draft was uh, remarkably quick. It was really funny, took less than a minute. Um, and it's going to be pretty pivotal and we'll be spending the rest of, uh, you know, all of the off season thinking about the expansion draft and the super draft. No doubt. And, so, and the two of us are going to the super draft this year in well, LA. Let's wait until we buy tickets before we, we are planning to, we're to planning on looking and going, but either way for Minnesota to have the first pick, it's really exciting. They really control their destiny in the rookie draft there. Yeah. That, and that, that's always a blast. Um, anyone else wants to come to the super draft with us? Just let us know. Um, let's do, uh, let's do a little break, take some time to, uh, calm ourselves and come back and do some Twitter questions. Welcome back to... 551 podcast, the 551 podcast. I'm, I got to work on it. Um, we are going to take some Twitter questions. Uh, last week, I also gave uh, an email address, which is not the correct email address um, because I, I, it's a recent email address for 551. It's westberdine at 55.1, not Wes at 50. So, anyway, there we go. So, so please send us questions there. Um, Twitter, I know a lot of people, even who listen, don't have Twitter. It just tends to be the space that I use the most to talk to humans. Uh, but so if you have questions, send them to Westberdine at 55.1. Uh, Cause we love questions and we've got some, we've got a crap load for today. So let's start in with these, which is um, you want to go with the first one with Matt Axelson? Yeah, let's do that. Um, we talked about the first half of this a little bit, actual chances on a deal with the Minnesota Thunder Academy and locking you up as a homegrown <coughs> player. Um, and then also, which Minnesota United player would you want to bring along for a trip to Menards? I think those are two very... I mean, Ewell isn't my pick to bring yeah. to Menards, so I think those are two Matt Axelson lives in, in Midway, and I always see him at Menards. This is why he's asking that. Oh, but, there you go. But let's start with that, that Ewell thing and just say no one knows about him being a homegrown. Uh, 
like, I know that the club would really like to make him a homegrown and they are pursuing trying to figure out how that would happen. No one even knows the mechanism by which, because it would some, they have to have some sort of deal with Minnesota Thunder Academy. And honestly, that's about as far as you can get because right now the team isn't talking about any of this stuff there. You can barely get them to comment on the priority draft because they don't want to take away from the fact that we're in a season right now, which is good. And I totally don't begrudge them that. But basically, anything that you're jonesing to know about, when are we going to sign players for MLS? If you're freaking out about like Atlanta signing this, they're not going to talk about anything um, before before November, whenever, whenever, yeah, whenever it is they're the, the eliminated. season. Right. So, so, and after after that, I'm sure it will be a, just a cavalcade of news, but. So there you go. And for Menards? Yeah. Do you have, do you have any thoughts? I, I, Brent Coleman. Yeah. I, I would say, I, I would think Jeb Brovsky has some sort of weird woodworking hobby that we don't know about. Some really obscure... Like uh, he makes like... Japanese whittling art or something. Yeah, like he makes tiny little ducks or something oh, out of yeah, wood. Yeah. And carves yeah, every feather individually. Yeah, yeah, that that actually makes sense. Um, so, uh, Colin O'Donnell at the attachment on Twitter says Nietzsche, unbound authoritarian, coy, ironic leftist, or syphilitic brain ram- brained rambler. Those are some fighting words. Do you have any thoughts about Friedrich Nietzsche? Uh, coy and ironic. Okay, I'm going to go unbound authoritarian. I'm not a big Nietzsche fan, but there you go. There we column go. a column b um we're going a lot of philosophy today so dave ladig at dave ladig uh, says would descartes revoke his co- cogito ergo sum conclusion if he had witnessed uh today's liverpool man united match um i think that they could have used some goals in that match whoa i'm not even gonna try it. I, I was gonna try to have a clever answer but i'll just leave yours uh Penis from Heaven, I think this is something we work on a little bit longer, but it's a good question nonetheless. If you had to construct a starting 11 out of Shakespearean characters, where do you start? Oh, okay, we can answer this. Where do you start? Um, I've got Othello as a box-to-box midfielder. Oh. Yeah, yeah, I mean, the general. Yeah, you yeah. want him... I, you know, to be honest, so I haven't had enough time to really think about this, and I think I'm gonna have to spend the next. Well, who's week. your first pick? That's all this is. Where do you start? I, I don't. I, uh, let's see. The first one. This is a terrible pick. It's not a good idea. The first one that came to mind would I'd be I'd put Mercutio out on the wing. Oh, great. Yeah, he'd dive in the box all the time or something like that. All the but, time. But he, he would he, run. He, it's Ronaldo. Yeah, 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 yeah. He would run like hell. Uh, but other people did have good answers. Um. At the real Greg X says Brutus has to be the center back, mm. um, and then uh, at Bill underscore MK says Lady Macbeth would be good until she poisoned the locker room. Balotelli, that's really good. Oh, that is good. No, but Lady Macbeth is not pushing someone else to be. Uh, Bal- Balotelli is all about himself. Sure. Lady Macbeth is is about secretive uh, working there. Um, so. Uh, I I don't know. I I want to think of of more. uh, We'll have a best eleven at some point. Yeah, Yeah, other people um, send in your your nominees for that. Uh, It's been a while since I've read a lot of Shakespeare. Um, 
So I, let's just say hashtag Shakespeare XI, Shakespeare 11. Yeah. And I'm yep. sure that's going to go trending in 10 minutes. Uh, Alex Schieferdecker at Alex Schiefs asks us for our thoughts on Bob Dylan's Nobel Prize for Literature. Are lyrics poetry? Are they? Uh, no, they're not. Um, I will say my thoughts on this are um, that... The, the desire to call Bob Dylan literature is a desire to make him uh, to make him uh, have more kind of cred. You know, literature is thought of as this higher art. And I think it's only coming from an insecurity about uh, music. You can just say that music can be brilliant. Uh, you don't have to have a hierarchy of literature over music. Sure. Um, and so uh, I, I don't think there's a need to give him a Nobel Prize in literature. Although, I will say... Uh, Nobel Prizes for Literature are given to non-literary people uh, every once in a while. Uh, and H Henry Bergson, who's my French philosopher, uh, he won one in 1930, something like that. So, well, there you go. Bob Dylan's basically just Henry Bergson uh, redux. Take that, Dom DeLillo. Let's finish on this. Yeah, yeah. DeLillo and, and Rushdie are just really depressed. <laughs> um, well, let's finish on this one. Nick Hendrickson at Red Army Nick says, do you think Ethan Horvath will be the number one keeper at the 2018 World Cup? Uh, no. No. Okay. I mean, you're the big Ethan Horvath fan. You're, you yeah. You basically I, have your mouse ears on for him. Just about. Uh, he's known for his mouse ears, in case you hadn't seen their games before. He plays out uh, in Norway with Moldy, so no one watches his games anyway. They might be true. Um, no, he's not. He'll be 22, 23 for the next Cup, and I think that you're still going to see Guzan or... Old man Howard between the pipes if the team qualifies for the cup. Yeah. I mean, why not take him as your number three, though? Oh, no doubt. I think that he'll be on the roster. I don't yeah. think he's starting. Uh, I think that I could even see, like, a, if Howard age creeps up to him, I could see uh, Bill Hamid also giving a chase if he has a year or two of health. So there you go. Bill Hamid, by the way, I've heard a lot of people call him Bill Hamid. But the only time I've heard his name, him say his name, it was on like a extra time radio in between. He said, my name is Bill. Hi, this is Bill Hamid, blah, Ooh. blah, blah. But everyone, even on extra time radio, calls him Bill Hamid. And I assume they know the guy. It's just like uh, Minnesota Loney left back Chris Clutie. Yes. Who was called Clute for his entire career. And then I think it was the beginning of like 15 or whatever. He said, by the way, it's Clutie. And ever since then, he's lost minutes. <laughs> so careful what you wish for, Bill oh. Hamid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That maybe that's why he'd stop telling people. <laughs> Might be. Yeah, he told Jurgen. He's like, actually, it's Hamid, and Jurgen's just face. We can't froze. have that, and then that's it. Oh, okay. We we will, okay. we will talk to you in January. Okay, go Julian, and then Julian's between the pipes. Julian Green <laughs> instead uh, of Bill Hamid. So uh, my name is Wes Berdine. I, I am on Twitter at mnicefc. Jeff, you I am Jeff Ruder on Twitter at Jeff Ruder. There we go. Um, you can find the show everywhere on Google Play, Stitcher, iTunes, etc. If you're on, if you can, just go to the iTunes thing and leave a, a review that is uh, very kind and nice of you. Um, unless it's a bad review, and then just uh, go drive your car into a wall. Um, but uh, thank you. Anyway, uh, this has been great. We will see you around soon and talk to you. But please send us uh, questions on Twitter or um, Westberdine at 55.1. Thanks a lot.